I'm Maya. And I'm Zinia. And we are back for a second series of Making It to Motherhood. If you listen to series one, you'll know that we've been friends for a really long time. But we were brought closer together by the tragic loss of our babies and subsequent unconventional journeys to having more children. Yep, together we've been through everything. From miscarriage to stillbirth, baby loss and switching off life support, IVF, genetics counselling and surrogacy. And having spoken a lot about our own journeys in series one, we're now going to hear from some other amazing mothers about their experiences, as well as a few relevant experts along the way. This is Making It to Motherhood, a podcast where we talk about grief, life after loss, journeys to motherhood, and all the ups and downs along the way. Subscribe now and join us every Wednesday from January the 12th on the roller coaster of Making It to Motherhood. And you can keep up to date with all the latest by following us on Instagram at Making It to Motherhood. Well, welcome back to another episode of Making It to Motherhood, episode 10. We have now reached. How are you doing, Maya? Double digits. I'm good, thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, you know, still rocking the the newborn. Well, actually, I don't know if I can call him a newborn now. He's now he's reached double digits and weeks either. But you know, rocking the the nearly three months old. And oh, I feel like three months is such a milestone. Like they really aren't a newborn anymore. I, th- I think I did a little bit of a like, oh, they're not a newborn anymore. When yeah, Freddie I've already I've already packed up all his newborn clothes, which is oh. is weird. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, all good with me and excited for another episode with Helen. Yeah. I mean, so just to recap from episode from the episode we recorded last week, we interviewed Helen, your surrogate, and talked about what possessed her to be a surrogate in the first place and how you kind of found each other and the stars aligned to bring your next baby into the world. So that's quite a long story and a really, really interesting one. I have, for one, loved hearing all the ins and outs of it and was so excited to record last week's episode. And we're super excited to hear from Helen again this week as we kind of go into part two of your surrogacy journey together. So welcome back, Helen. Thank you for joining us again, giving up your time to chat to us on the podcast. So just quick recap, we are following on from the last episode and you are now here to talk about the big day when you actually go into labour and give birth. Virginia. Yeah, well, thank you for having me back. I guess question to both of you, did you have... A birth plan or what kind of birth did you both have in mind? My last baby had been born at home and it had been a really positive experience. So I had that as a background that I really ideally wanted to be at home. Um, And also we then talked about the pros and cons of us all, how how it would be best for us all to be together. So Zinnia, do you want to say you know, originally I'd sort of wanted a home birth with Ivy, actually, but you know, we all know how that one ended. <laughs> so, not I think, funny. Sorry, not funny. No. <laughs> <laughs> funny, not funny. Yeah, you know. So, so I was sort of relatively open to a home birth, but also a little bit cautious because of obviously everything that had gone wrong eventually with Ivy's um, birth, where we ended up where we were in hospital with a C-section. So I was kind of, you know up for it but also a little bit dubious but actually when we talked through it with Helen and Helen was um, you know, spoke about her really positive experience and then also obviously the COVID um, you know damn COVID played into it as well so the hospital rules at the time were that you were only allowed one birthing partner and obviously you know for Helen Helen wanted her husband Danny to be there which completely un- yeah. you know we completely understood it's, we wanted her to have the best birth that she could possibly have so actually when we talked it through it felt like it would be really nice all of us there together at home you know one the one birth team <laughs> yeah and we we had a birthing pool ready lights all the all of that ready to go and I guess the idea of to your point Zinnia of the fact that you could all be in one place but you weren't really sort of hovering around either in well you weren't you wouldn't have been allowed in hospital but hovering around in a kind of horrible hospital corridor you'd be able to the idea is that you're you can sort of hang out in the kitchen and and wait for 
wait for the call from the other room type thing. Yeah, exactly that. Like when it all gets yeah. too much, you know, we're not kind of being like, oh, that this is awkward. You know, we could just hang out in a different room and just so it felt like it'd be quite a relaxing way to go. As relaxing as a birth can be, you know. <laughs> yeah, and everything had been low, low risk, hadn't it? Everything had been really low risk throughout the pregnancy. So there was nothing to sort of suggest that that wouldn't be a good idea. Yeah. And so I guess with that plan in place, how did you all feel leading up to the due date? Well, I think the due date in itself sort of posed a little bit of a, a thing because we didn't have, it kept moving, even though we had IVF and you'd think that that would be a really fixed thing. Actually, we learned quite early on that actually there's quite a lot of wriggle room in in what due date you have based on how quickly the embryo implants. So our due date moved quite a bit anyway. And also I'm quite aware that I always go overdue. I went overdue with both of my own children. So I was expecting to go overdue. I had in my head that that would probably be the case. But I have to say that as we got closer and closer to the due date and then it went, we went past the due date, I became Mm. very aware of the fact that Zinnia and Brayden particularly Zinnia probably, but both both were starting to feel a little bit anxious about, you know, how long do we wait, etc. And when it's not your baby, that feels very different to going overdue with your own children. Yeah. Um, definitely a different feeling. I mean, yeah, I think at first I felt like, okay, this is cool, this is fine. But as each day went past the due date, I just... I started getting more and more anxious and all of those sort of things that you hear in the media, you know, whether rightly or wrongly about some of the dangers of going overdue just really played um, into my whole anxiety. So, you know, I think I just, I, I felt it quite, quite sort of difficult. And I think, you know, even with the smoothest pregnancy journey, it, you can still have like quite a lot of anxiety. And given my history of the previous miscarriage, you know, very traumatic birth with, IV, a stillbirth, you know, rounds of IVF, surrogacy journey. Like there was just so much riding on this birth that mm. I just I just wanted it to be over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think to be honest, like I I could totally understand that from Zinnia's point of view. And I could feel I could feel my own sort of I'm normally really chilled out sort of person, but I could feel that I was starting to feel quite anxious because I was worried that I you know, having gone this far, I just wanted to hand them their their baby. I wanted to make sure that baby safely arrived. So it did it did feel very different. So you're kind of going overdue, and and at this point, you're kind of chatting every day. What what's going on? Yeah, every couple of days, I think. We, I mean, there were days where we did speak more than others, and that when there was nothing else to update, sometimes I, you know, we would go go a couple of days between talking. But then I was starting to get sort of mild contractions that came and went and I was it was very stop start um, in the run up and I'd been offered a sweep and all these different things. So we had conversations about, you know, the decisions we were making as we were running up to it. Um, But then when things started to hot up and I was getting a bit more sensation that things were happening and I'd yeah sort of had some signs that things were moving in the right direction um mm. I said as in maybe it's time to move in this direction just in case and so you about a day and a bit beforehand Zinnia and Braden made their way up didn't you yeah yeah we um sort of put all of, all of our like logistics and operations plans <laughs> into place and hopped in the car and drove up to Bury St Edmunds and so I think that was in the afternoon and we sort of thought as we you know, checked into our hotel, like, oh, you know, we'll probably get a call in a few hours from Helen, but, you know, wake up the next morning and no call. And obviously like there's nothing you can, like there's nothing we can do except sort of just kill time. So it was really surreal, like waiting for your baby to be born. You know, we, we went out to lunch, we did some shopping, some local sightseeing, we stopped off for some wine. <laughs> it was just very bizarre waiting for a call. Yeah, on your way to have a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not how most people would imagine a scenario of uh, <laughs> waiting for their baby to arrive. <laughs> Imagine if someone had asked you that day, 
Oh, I know. I know. I mean, it's so, so surreal. Yeah, so <laughs> surreal. It was the whole thing was just weird, really weird. But we had a lovely day in Bury St Edmunds. Highly recommend it to anyone. <laughs> it is quite a nice job. <laughs> so things are hotting up. Okay, when did you know? Well, I had. It was like a really early morning moment of waters breaking. It was at four thirty in the morning. And I phoned up the midwifery team and said, look, my water's broken. And they said that they hadn't got, unfortunately, a, a midwife on home birth ready to come out to me. So could I come in to get checked over and see what's going on? Because they like to check that you actually have, your waters have broken and it's not just that you've wet yourself or something. <laughs> um, so they, so we, we went, I phoned Zinnia, to pick me up um and so that we could go into the hospital together and so that was kind of the the moment of knowing that things were moving in the right direction yeah I mean I and I was pretty excited to get that call even if it was like half four in the morning I sort of sprang into action and drove around to pick up Helen and you know like as absolutely I wouldn't expect anything else Helen's like calm as anything when I'm going to pick her up and we're in the car like, driving to the hospital and chatting away and I turn around to Helen I'm like oh so have you have you felt him move and she just like missed you know skipped a beat I was like oh I don't think I have and I think oh, at that God. point I mean my heart just went from sort of zero to a hundred or whatever your blood pressure does <laughs> And, and he was the most wriggly baby normally. Like he was a super wriggly baby. So it was strange. But I did say, didn't I, that actually I think I've just been, I've been rushing about. So it might be that I just haven't felt it because I've been, I've been rushing about putting the stuff in, you know, making last bits in the bag and stuff and getting dressed. So I think we were, we were both feeling a bit anxious about that, that I couldn't be, I couldn't reassure you. And mm. that, felt horrible yeah definitely yeah and then they took ages didn't they when we got to hospitals like waiting for them to connect the monitors and you know when sort of life just goes in really slow motion and anyway it just went on forever and I think at this point I definitely worked myself up into a bit of a frenzy and I, I, I actually had to remove myself from the room before they kind of got him up on the screen because I was just so sure that it had all gone wrong. And, you know, I think it was that whole sort of PTSD thing coming back mm. from, from Isabel's stillbirth and that just waiting to be hooked up to the monitors only to see nothing. And I was just absolutely convinced that that, you know, that he had died basically, which I know sounds very sort of negative and morbid, but that's where my brain and my mind went. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and I knew that you know I couldn't I couldn't be absolutely sure, even though I was pretty sure that everything was going to be okay. And I am an optimist in lots of scenarios. I couldn't say absolutely categorically that everything was going to be okay. And that's a and really that's an interesting thing. one, isn't it? Because that's almost like something that we've spoken about. On well, it's not almost something we've spoken about. We have spoken about it on the podcast that. It's all. It's one of the most annoying things you can hear is someone saying, "Oh, it'll all be okay." No, you don't have a crystal ball, and we know from experience that it can all go really fucking wrong. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's almost you want to be reassuring, but you actually can't in this scenario, and that's really tough. Yeah, it really is, especially when it's somebody else. It's for somebody else's mm. baby. It's such a big, such a big responsibility. And so, what happened in that appointment? The actual scan showed, you know, that everything was fine. They could feel they could uh, get the heartbeat immediately and everything was okay. But when I then went to get the pad and so on, and um, they found that there was meconium in the waters, which ultimately meant that they went, they went, mm, we'd rather you didn't go home. And it's one of the things that, to be honest, is a bit of a deal breaker for me going home because I just think it's one of the things that can suggest that there's a possibility baby will need some extra help when baby's born. So you mm. kind of have to go, actually, you know, it's not worth, for me, it's not. There are some people who would have probably said it was only like meconium, you know, but certainly with somebody else's baby, it's not something that I was ever going to risk. 
So the the birth plan effectively gets torn apart and thrown out the window at this point, does it? It does. And should we just clarify for anyone who's listening that meconium, Helen, tell me if I get this wrong, but it's a baby's first poo, isn't it? That ideally they do outside of the womb. Yeah, ideally. I mean, it is it is something that happens quite frequently. It's not a sort of rare situation. And often it's not a problem at all. It's about whether or not they breathe it in when they as they are born. So that's the main thing. While they're in the womb, it's not really going to do them any harm. It's just floating around, I suppose. But it's as they come out, if there if there's any that's in their system that they then breathe into their lungs that can potentially be a problem. So now you're now, I'm just trying to catch up. So you're in the hospital and you obviously haven't planned for this. What did you have to now fill everyone in quickly on the scenario? So she's the surrogate, I'm the mother. What's going on? How are you kind of now managing that piece of it? Yeah, I mean, they were pretty good about that, to be fair. Like they had all that information was in the notes. They had all of that. Good. That 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 was the case. And also the midwife who came to attend me actually was my, I was part of the continuity of care model being rolled out. Um, So I actually had the midwife that I had met quite a few times was with me for most of the labour and, and for the for the birth she stayed in even though her shift had finished actually and uh, she stayed for the birth so amazing yeah so that that part was okay I think that it and we had got in our heads some things that we would and wouldn't want to do and most pretty much actually in here we all we all agreed on those things didn't we really like the like drugs that we wouldn't want to choose and so on we were quite yeah, I think we were we were pretty pretty aligned um, with everything, which made it kind of quite easy when we were being briefed mm. by the consultants or the midwives on what our options were. We kind of landed on, you know, what the next steps um, would be, kind of quite quite easily. But you know, which I think just again just made it feel really good and is a testament to kind of our relationship. I think, but yeah, I mean, for for the most part before things kind of started really getting a bit spicy you know actually it was just quite fun hanging out together and you know like (laughs) chatting and waiting for things to progress but I mean it did get to the point where things weren't progressing as quickly as everyone would have liked so that was when we then kind of were briefed and discussed the option of going for an induction which was a whole sort of process in itself there was sort of an agreement that we'd start with the first port of, in, of induction with some pessaries and before moving on to a drip and stuff and I think at that point I was like I'm really not adding anything to the situation here I'm not my presence isn't doing anything to speed up the labor you know it's been a really long day everyone's knackered and you know, actually, it's probably better that I just go back to where we're staying and try and get some, try and get some rest and leave Helen and Danny together to have some privacy in the room, and just basically wait for wait for an update really from them. Yeah, fair enough. And and Helen, how does it then feel? And and maybe um, feel different, obviously, from having your own baby, but what's labor like when it's when it's someone else's baby or is it similar yeah I mean it was pretty similar in that the the difficulty I had was that I was much more strapped to monitors etc because of what the route we'd opted for Mm. um so in comparison with a home birth where I was completely not interfered with really um obviously it was very different from that experience but the old the support of you know having the support of your partner my coping with the pain was pretty similar to be fair like I wasn't finding it any more difficult just because it was a different you know it wasn't my baby that part I found fairly straightforward it was it was just waiting it was the waiting and not knowing when it was all going to happen and wanting it to happen sooner rather than later for Zinnia and Braden to have this positive outcome and the baby be happy and healthy and everything be all right you know I just wanted it to be the baby to be delivered safely and everything to be okay mm. so I think that's the main that was the main thing and then I think the, you know the only thing that I feel a bit sad about is that I didn't succeed in giving Zinnia and Braden sort of that positive birth experience of it all being 
really straightforward because I know that that is what it can be like but certainly this wasn't any it wasn't a sort of you know a physiological perfect birth where everything went well it was definitely a more complicated birth but it was um yeah it was it it was just sort of that that was a bit sad but Mm. I don't think really matters now looking you know looking back on it I don't think it matters to Zinnia and Brayden how and even at the time it didn't matter you know it was it was just all about we just need to get a safe baby like our baby here safely that would have been a bonus if we'd had the beautiful home birth that we'd all envisaged and planned but we all know that doesn't (laughs) yeah yeah well I mean I assume Zinnia you are not back at the Airbnb having glass of Prosecco What, what were you doing and kind of how are you feeling the last thing I, I had from Helen, I think, was about 1.30 in the morning, just a text message or WhatsApp message from her on our little birth team WhatsApp group, just sort of saying that the contractions are ramping up and that the plan is to have to be examined at 4 a.m. and that, you know, we'd, we'd have another update then. And so, you know, I, I kind of went to sleep and wake up at about five and looked at my phone and was like, oh. I've I've not heard anything from them. And the rational side of my brain is telling me she's in labor. Her and Danny are pretty busy at the moment to be able to remind, you know, to text me to let me know how that 4am examination went. But the irrational side of my brain, which was definitely a lot stronger at this point, was telling me something's wrong, something's happening. And that's why they haven't got in touch. So I wake up Brayden I had a shower and by the time I got out of the shower, I just said, look, we've just got to get to the hospital. Um, at least we're there, then we can find out what's going on. So mm-hmm. again, you know, as you mentioned before, my like that sort of PTSD, like kicking in, you know, on the, yeah. on the way to the hospital, I could barely breathe. And I was just so convinced that everything had gone wrong. And, you know, I think that you know, once you've been that statistic of having a baby loss, like you just there's no law in the world that says that just because you've experienced something terrible once it won't happen again you know so yeah yeah I just I couldn't and it's self-preservation isn't it oh completely completely you want to be hopeful and you want to be positive but there's only so far you can go yeah uh, you know absolutely yeah so so anyway I I rushed through the hospital you know I feel like it was some sort of like scene out of ER for anyone who used to watch that program I kind of like ran through like barged into Helen's room which I know was completely against any sort of like protocol and plus and respect as well but I just needed to know (laughs) what was going on and I sort of like over the door and bumped into Danny and Danny just looked at me and he was like it's okay and at that point, you know, again, I just completely sunk to the floor, legs gave way, and that a huge sense of relief that came through me. I was like, okay, it's okay. And the midwives kind of like rushed Braden and I and tried to sweep us up into another room. And actually at that point, as they were doing that, I I felt, okay, they're trying to get us out of the way here. Actually, I think something is going on, but they're not telling us what. And that was really hard as well, because obviously they're focus and priority is on Helen and the baby but it's very difficult that I was being like Brain and I were being shut out at, at that point um you know yeah. and again sort of anxiety levels started creeping back up again so I was on a real roller coaster um I felt really responsible for the fact that I hadn't thought to text to send you a message like I can remember feeling a wave of being quite upset that I hadn't that I hadn't managed to remember to send you a message and then then rationalizing it with myself that actually I hadn't realized what the time was at all like the time of day I couldn't have told you what time it was because everything had gone into a blur of contractions and um, the contractions were pretty much one on top of another at that point I was having really really strong contractions that were not didn't feel like they were ever ending but the problem that they were finding was that they were worried about decelerations now they had at first thought it was just the monitors were losing contact and then they'd put a little the clip on Hugo's head so by decelerations we should probably say that um that was of of Hugo's heart of the baby's heart wasn't it 
Right. Yeah, I mean that, that is it is quite common that that happens. That it is it is quite a common thing to notice during contractions that there's sort of a decrease in in at least the measurement of the heart rate. Actually, in this particular case, the actual heart rate was dipping according to the monitors, and so they they then start to become a little bit more like mm, we really would recommend that we now go for a C-section because we we're just we're worried that he might be a little bit distressed etc and again I sort of I I looked at Danny and I said you know I haven't really got any choice in this have I I need to do this and he said yeah no I think you need to you need to do this so we both agreed that we thought that not that we didn't have any choice as in we didn't have any choice we didn't I just felt like we didn't really we needed to do what was right to be to really be taking the safest route because we didn't we didn't feel comfortable that we'd be taking the right decision if we if we carried on in a different way so yeah so that that then happened and um I was conscious that Zinnia had been kind of swept off into a different room they'd talked to me about this while while you were in a different room and then they said to me did I want them to go and tell you what was going to happen next I think so I don't think we had the conversation did we they no, they went no, to tell, yeah. tell you what was going to happen next while I was getting myself ready yeah just to set the scene Helen's in, in one room on one Helen and Danny are in one room on one side of the corridor and Brayden and I are just opposite in another room <laughs> but because of <laughs> because of the whole situation of surrogacy and everyone not being very sure about what would happen and where the flow of information goes in which direction I don't think any of the staff felt comfortable to have that conversation with all of us in the room. So it was a Helen and Danny conversation. And then once they'd had that, then they came to Braden and I and told us of the situation. And, you know, I think for me, I, I was happy to go with that because at that point I'm just like, I just want him out safely and as soon as possible. And let's just get this birthing nightmare <laughs> over with. And having had a C-section myself with Ivy or a T-section, if we're going to, um, you know, nitpick on things, uh, you know, it ultimately I knew that it was probably the right thing to do. And <laughs> whilst also feeling pretty bad for Helen that, oh my God, the home yeah. birth is so far away from where we are right so now. Away. So Helen, see, having not had a C-section before, how how was that? It was okay, actually. I didn't have a massive worry about doing it. I went in and went in good spirits, was asking saying to the midwives like how unfortunate it was that I'd had such easy births with my own children and then offered to to do it for someone else and look what happened but they were you know they were in they were lovely they were really good chatty and lovely and Danny was on good form so it wasn't it really wasn't sort of a really scary experience it was better once the once the spinal block was in because that's the bit that you're sort of waiting and once that was in the anaesthetist was brilliant and yeah it was all good that was, it was it was fine it really strange sensation but good yeah it was positive Zin you're kind of waiting patient in the next room but pretty soon after that you presumably have a healthy baby <laughs> yeah I mean we first got alerted to that by a whatsapp from Danny saying we have a baby <laughs> um, and Aww. You know, that was like a sort of little celebration. And then it wasn't long after that, actually, that the midwives brought him up, wheeled him in in this little cot. And it was just it was just amazing seeing him for the first time. And then I remember turning around to the midwife and saying, asking if I could hold him. Um, She's like, of course you can hold your baby. And it was just so lovely. And he was so, so tiny, but so perfect. And you know, you just have that feeling that they're so totally reliant on you. And yeah, you know, I had so much love to to give him. And immediately it felt it felt right and it felt like I was his like I was his mum. Oh, that's amazing. And so you kind of had the cuddles then. Did you get to spend some time with him immediately afterwards whilst Helen was in recovery, I assume? Yeah, yeah. How does um, it work then? I, 
I mean, the hospital were great, actually. They gave Braden and I our own room rather than putting us on the postnatal ward. Um, and yeah, we just got to hang out with him, have the old skin to skin. I actually put him to my breast to allow him to have some suckling. Um, we had multiple syringes of colostrum from Helen that, you know, for the past few weeks had been um, syringing colostrum for us. And it was just really lovely time. We did the classic, you know, take some pictures, message yeah. my family. It was lovely. It was really lovely. Oh, and so you are in recovery, Helen, and yeah, I haven't met Hugo, I presume. Uh, I did. I very briefly met him before he was wheeled off. So he didn't come for a cuddle or anything. He literally just, um, they brought him over so that I could see that he was oh. healthy and fine. And literally I just said hello to him and said, oh, good, I'm oh. glad you're all right. And he, and he went off to... Um, he went off to meet Zinnia and Braden in the way that was planned. So, and then what happens next? Because presumably you're then kept in to recover. Like, how? Who? Who has the baby? Where are you all? What's going on? <laughs> so to start with, I'm in the little room, just in recovery, recovery. So I'm literally just lying there asking for more painkillers. Yeah. So I think whilst. Yeah, whilst you were in recovery, actually, I think it happened at exactly the same time. Braden and I had requested that we could go and see Helen, and simultaneously, Helen had requested that if we could um, see her. So we all met Aww. up with Helen in the recovery room and had some cuddles. And I think at that point, it was when the midwife came in and broke it to us and said that Braden and I couldn't leave the hospital with Hugo until Helen left the hospital. And that was all just a bit of a shock to us, I think, because at that point, we didn't know how long Helen would have to stay in for. So right. I think at that point, we we thought that Helen might have to stay in for another night. And, you know, it's it's a, it's sort of mid-morning. So we were kind of, you know, ready, ready to go home. So, you know, like not immediately, but but that that yeah. day. And again, this is probably just a tip for anyone going through this is, that was they all of the midwives had to look up what their hospital policy was around surrogacy because the law is is kind of a bit gray and basically leaves it within the hospital hands to decide where the baby handover takes place like can it take place on hospital grounds or does it have to be off the grounds and for our hospital it said that it has to take place outside of hospital grounds which would mean that right. Helen would have to be discharged before she could give the baby to us so to speak and I sort of did kick up a little bit of a fuss at that point and actually what was amazing given that it was a Saturday I think was within a few hours they came back and said okay we've spoken to the board or the trustees or whoever the powers that be are and they said that actually you you know you can take the baby if you know, if you want to which was great I mean then obviously that didn't happen. The hospital was way too busy to discharge um, Hugo uh, as well. So actually, we ended up staying the night as well. But we we hung out quite a lot with with Helen and the postnatal ward, and actually it was it was really lovely. And Danny came in for some cuddles as well, and it really felt like the oh. kind of you know the one birth team that we had been aiming for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nice. That bit that bit was lovely, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really nice. It was really nice. And and when you finally did leave the hospital, what happened then? You kind of go your separate ways or did you kind of, you know, what happened then? Well, I think so. So Helen was going to be kept in for a little bit longer. So we were allowed to leave. And actually, Helen had asked us if we could take Hugo to meet the kids. So Elodie and Theo. And, you know, we were absolutely like, you know, couldn't wait to introduce Hugo to to them. So, yeah, we um, yeah, we all agreed that made that plan. So we left Helen in the hospital, which felt quite a weird thing, leaving Helen behind yeah. and yeah. then took Hugo to Helen's mum's house to, um, to introduce him to the kids. And, and I've got to be honest, at this point, I was a little bit worried about meeting Helen's mum because, you know, we spoke about last time that yeah. you know, she wasn't fully on board with the surrogacy. But I mean, she couldn't have been lovelier. Whether she was hiding it very well, I don't know. But honestly, she was 
she was lovely and she just hosted us and was so kind and generous and it was just great to you know introduce Hugo to Elodie and Theo and Elodie had a little hold of him and it was it was really beautiful it was such a lovely moment yeah and I joined you for a bit virtually didn't I I remember sort of joining you by video call for a bit (laughs) while you were in the garden it did feel weird letting you know not well not letting the not not being able to be there that was it it was was more sort of weird that I wasn't able to just be there and be part of that moment but I was yeah that's a horrible FOMO like hold on I sort of started yeah. this party and I'm not there. <laughs> but, actually, but actually, I was really grateful to Brayden and Zinnia that they did go and, and introduce Hugo to the kids because I just think, particularly for Elodie, that was the closure that she needed for, for having yeah. been through that process, you know, and have had to cope with mummy being pregnant and a bit yeah. grumpy at times and things. It was nice for her to go and, go and see um, go and see Hugo uh, so yeah that all worked well you were recovering okay in terms of like how you expected to recover I mean obviously you weren't expecting to be recovering from a c-section but you know you know physically and mentally were you how did you find it those kind of days post delivery and, and beyond yeah I think to be honest um I felt grateful that I didn't have to look after a newborn baby while I was recovering from a c-section actually <laughs> I, I remember sort of looking at, yeah I, I kind of looked around and was thinking god I'm so glad that I don't have to try and try and do all those things that you would normally have to do and also cope with this because it is quite an intense thing to cope with pain wise for the particularly for the first few days I think like the the pain is quite significant and also the the amount you could move is limited so you know that that's the the challenge of it and I've you know I really expected to have a bit of a whirlwind of hormones hit me and I, I still I mean touch wood still haven't had anything that I would consider to even have been baby blues you know I I I haven't had that I felt absolutely relieved that he had made his way into the world and he was fine I felt really happy to see Zinnia and Brayden so happy and with him and I you know I've loved ever since seeing you know the photos of of him doing well and the the videos and photos of him with Ivy you know all of those things have been just brilliant and I haven't haven't ever thought oh you know I wish I hadn't done that I I've really been quite pleased that I've I've done that. I, so, I remember. Yeah. I remember in the hospital, Helen. You um, after he was born, and you were in the postnatal ward, and you and I were chatting. And I remember you turning around to me and and saying, "I feel so proud of myself for what I've done." And not and not in a really arrogant way, by the way. You know, it was just I don't know, just something that felt so normal for you to say, and it was so lovely. It's one of those things that just shot like a rush of emotion through me when you said it, and I was like, "And as you blow, you, you should, you should, you should be proud of yourself." It's freaking amazing what you've done, but it is, you know, I think it it is like it's it's amazing, and and I was really I was really pleased that you felt proud of yourself as well. Let's talk about that quickly in terms of that. <laughs> what was in the contract other than him being a good baby where where are you all of that now like did you did you do the handover are you all squared up <laughs> what happens I mean I think we're still definitely going through the legal side of things that that's a process that will take however long it takes but we've started it which is the main thing and as and when at some point he will go from being a Fortes um, to a Harris but um, yeah the powers that be in the UK legal courts will decide when that happens oh really so it can take I think particularly with the with the backlog of of COVID law cases it, it could take a good few months but you know we'll see I mean it's not like we're in a rush it's it's a name really um for us so as and when it happens you know that's that's not the main the main point for us yeah fair enough and then for you you know has it been I've seen pictures of you cuddled but bonding <laughs> wise was it sort of harder than you expected did as same as you expected no, easy um, breezy 
I, I think, yeah, actually really easy, sort of quicker than the bonding, I'd say quicker than I had expected it to um, to be, you know. And Particularly because you weren't really letting yourself believe that it was even going yeah, to happen. But I, I wonder if I'd just been storing it up, you know, I'd be hiding it behind closed doors. So the moment, you know, the relief after he was born and suddenly the floodgates yeah. opened and, that, you know, all of that, that love and sort of that I'd had to give just kind of came out really and I'd anticipated during the pregnancy feeling conflicted when he was born you know really like sort of knowing that Isabel had had died and then that 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 he came about almost because of that but actually that wasn't the case at all and there have been times when I've cried for Isabel while holding Hugo but not because I wished she was here instead of him but more just sad that you know she couldn't be here too yeah and then you know there's definitely something to be said for not having carried the baby or given birth you know I think my my energy levels were amazing I didn't have sort of any hormones going up and down driving me crazy so I felt pretty good throughout the entire 12 weeks of his life so so far and at no point have I felt like I'm not 100% his mother well that's amazing really amazing really and your relationship with each other like are you guys obviously in touch not just about the legal stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's, we're still very active yeah. on our um birth team whatsapp group and um hoping to have a catch up with danny and helen in real life pretty soon i I think we've got one organized quite soon so you guys will see him again yeah i can't wait it'll be lovely to see you all yeah million dollar question helen would you do it all again would i go back in time and make the same decision yes would i (laughs) would i do it again for someone else probably not I think I I think this is my one my one and only time um mainly because of the impact it had on my my mom um, yeah. my sister and everything I think from from that point of view I couldn't put them through it again but yeah I I, I enjoyed it in a sort of way <laughs> it was a an amazing experience and I uh, like I say I, I am incredibly proud of having having done it um, but right. I definitely think it's a big thing to put yourself and your family through, and I think it takes yeah. up a lot of time as well. So it's you know it's a big thing. So I'll, you know, hats off to the surrogates that do do multiple journeys. But I think probably one is my is my bit that I'm going to do. Well, hats off to you. I'm sure Zinnia would agree. And Zin, life home in terms of having a newborn back in the house. How's it going? So things, I guess, are slightly different. Um, I think we spoke about you breastfed Ivy for quite a while and you planned to get breast milk for Hugo. Has that all kind of worked out? How does that work? Yeah, I, I felt quite sort of strongly, I suppose, about wanting to breastfeed Hugo myself if I could because I'd breastfed Ivy for so long and I'd had a really positive experience with it. And so I delved into the world of inducing lactation which um, if you haven't carried a baby which is entirely possible but it takes one hell of a lot of effort so I was pumping for a good 10 weeks or so before Hugo was born every few hours to try and induce just a drop of milk which I didn't have too much luck and there are other avenues that you can go down which is taking birth control pills and taking some pretty strong drugs and lots of herbs but you know, it didn't it didn't work out for me in the way that I wanted to. I think when Hugo was born and he did take he did take to my breast and he did suck. I, I think he got something out of it at the start, but it quite quickly dropped off. But amazingly, Helen took on the role of chief milk provider and <gasps> pumped, pumped for 12 weeks for Hugo wow. <laughs> to provide him with milk. So he has purely been fed on um, breast milk for his 12 weeks and we've um, supplemented when um, we were waiting for Helen's milk delivery to arrive um, some weeks I went out to the sort of the human milk for human babies and the local breastfeeding um, Bristol kind of community and I've had 
you know, about six or seven women now donate their milk to to Hugo. So, um, yeah, he's had a good old mixture, um, which has been amazing. And so I can't thank Helen enough for that. And also um, everyone else who um, shares their milk. It's an incredible thing to do. That is very, very, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it's quite cool. It was it was an interesting thing to be delivering, to be putting, to be putting into boxes and sending off. But um, yeah, I can only imagine. Oh my god, the Instagram guess, pictures! I will well, I will share the pictures on Instagram at um, at some point. But it is quite funny getting. So we just used um, like ice couriers, the, the type of couriers who deliver um, ice for parties. They were the oh ones who couriered our milk across the country. <laughs> um, so goodness knows what they thought. His, well, his face when I when one of them turned up to pick it up, and um, and his face was the picture when I when I mentioned that it was breast milk. He, <laughs> he clearly hadn't realised that that was what he was picking up. <laughs> so so he was like, oh, okay. I was like, okay, well, so sorry about that. Anyway, yeah, um, so funny. <laughs> uh, and I, well, I was just gonna guess breastfeeding or or um, pumping, if you can, is supposed to help with your natural recovery, right? So swings and roundabouts for you, like obviously, Helen. Like it's a it's a big commitment and a kind of emotional one, I guess, as well. But potentially would have helped. Definitely, definitely is uh, something that I was very conscious of. Actually, was that that actually if I could pump and and not have um that release of hormones that happens if you if you don't um that that would be really helpful so it definitely had a positive impact there well I think in summary the birthing pumping um and everything else you're both amazing um, and thank you so much, Helen, for coming on and sharing that whole story and obviously being such a winner for my friend Zinnia. Yeah, just what an amazing thing you've done. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. Yeah, a big thank you, thank you from from me as well, Helen. And can't wait to see you very soon. So moving on to our Big Up and Mother's Moan, our weekly chance to get something off our chest and shout out to something that's good in the loss or just baby community, really. So Zin, what's got your goat? Well, this week is when people refer to Hugo as a miracle, (laughs) And I mean, this gets said so often. So, I mean, I, and I can't blame people for saying it, but it gets it gets my goat because I think he's not a miracle. He's the product of a lot of hard work, <laughs> sacrifice, planning, emotion, fertility treatment, science, a willing surrogate. You know, who carried out her role as a as a surrogate amazingly. There is so much planning and everything that went into making him happen that I'm like, he's not a miracle. Unless you want to call all babies miracles, fine, you know. But he is not. <laughs> he didn't just happen. So yeah. And and it's funny because it is one of those things that, as I said, so many people say it, and I just nod and smile when they do. And internally, I'm thinking, oh no, he's no like no, no, no. he's really not. <laughs> So it's interesting to me that you say that because I think it's those you feel that in the same way that I don't like people calling babies angel babies. It's the last, you know, last series we spoke about that because to me, babies are miracles because so many things, even with all the science and all of the kind of preparations that you put into having Hugo, so many things still have to go right. Like it boggles, like my mind boggles that so many babies are born every day that are perfect. Like there are just, you know, we know that so many things can go wrong. And the fact that, you know, babies are still grown by humans in their tummies. I mean, maybe with a bit of help from science, it's just bonkers. Like the whole thing is mad to me. Like, oh, yeah. hey, hey, he's a miracle, but I totally get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's no more of a miracle, so to speak, than any other baby. Like, right. Is, I think is, is the point. He's less miraculous, frankly. <laughs> yeah, because he was so meticulously planned. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> when when people say actually that Freddie's a really good baby, I'm like, well, he was really fucking expensive. <laughs> Get what you paid. <laughs> exactly. <gasps> All right. Well, okay. Th- there's my moan. Um, how about you, Maya? What or who are you bigging up this week? I this week, and I hope that maybe they'll have a listen if we. Um, not that this is the reason why I'm giving this big up, but genuinely, I love these girls. Have discovered a podcast called the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. I actually discovered them as we were doing research for series one, and I've listened to loads of their episodes now. They just make me laugh. They hit the nail on the head, like so squarely with a lot of the topics they cover. I've recommended them to friends. Um, and particularly, I think you and I don't have any experience of miscarriage. Um, and it's something that I can kind of only sympathize with, but, um, you know, can't level with or empathize with um, in the same way that I can with with baby loss. And these girls just discussing so openly, so frankly, with loads of wit thrown in, just really highly recommend them and just want to say thank you to all that they're doing. Yeah, oh, I will. I will give them a listen. Actually, I, d- I did have a miscarriage actually, first time round before oh. Ivy. But you know that oh, that's for that's that. for another episode. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So thanks again for listening. Next week we are going to be talking to an incredible lady, Megan, who also goes by the Instagram handle of World Pachamama. If you want to look her up. And she is going to be talking about her beautiful twins and the unbelievable 67 days she spent in NICU when they were born. Yeah, that's a pretty significant number of days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, make sure you tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Making It to Motherhood. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Instagram at Making It to Motherhood. And spread the word and give us a review. We hope you have a great week and thanks for listening.